Back in high school, there was a pivotal moment that a lot of us had to deal with, and that was trying to explain to our parents why there was a D on our report cards. Well, my sophomore year yielded a D- in history, and when I had to explain to my parents why this had happened, I told them the teacher was terrible. And by the way, he was. He was disaffected, he was disinterested, and he was totally out of it. Oh, no, wait, hang on a second. That was, that was actually me. Look, I was 15. I think we were all like that. Anyway, I told them that I learned more listening to one song by my guest today on the program than I did during an entire semester with my history teacher. My parents, eh, they weren't that interested in who was educating me via vinyl, but I'm sure you are, so sit tight and you'll find out who it was. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. In the long and broken night Sticky with the bad dreams You see the faces of the past Slowly floating downstream Like thieves coming in the dark To steal away your halo Briars and the thorns scratching at your window. You say a clean horizon is all that you need. With nothing heavy in your hands, nothing dragging at your feet. That is the music of my guest today on the program, Justin Sullivan. Let me tell you a little bit about Justin Sullivan. With his band, New Model Army, Justin Sullivan has put out 15 fabulous albums, including such legendary efforts like The Ghost of Cain, The Love of Hopeless Causes, and From Here. Formed in West Yorkshire in 1980, New Model Army have turned out a bit like The Fall. They're hard categorized, they're defiantly original, and they boast a revolving door of so many members, we could do a podcast on their personnel alone. Back in the 80s, New Model Army were one of those bands that everyone liked and every group claimed was theirs. Goths, mods, metalheads, and college rock kids like me all thought New Model Army were in their camp. But the fact was... New Model Army were in everyone's camp. They were versatile that way. And part of that versatility was the way that they stretched the intersectionality of their own music. And yeah, there were bits of metal and punk and goth and folk in their musical attack, and that was what led to their widespread appeal. Career highlights? Oh, they've got those. John Peel loved them. They bumped the Smiths from the top slot on the indie charts in 84. They played the Reading Festival, and they even opened a gig for Bowie. Circling back to my D-minus, I wasn't joking when I told my parents I learned a lot from New Model Army. Even their name, which was taken from the army established by Parliament during the English Civil War, provided an instant education. If you don't believe me, check out their back catalog. From references to the levelers, to stock market crashes, Sullivan's grasp of history is alive and well in his vast and compelling songbook. On his new album, Surrounded, Sullivan reminds me of those battle bards in ancient Greece, singing songs of the Trojan War in real time. But he's more than that. The songs here are Viking lullabies, compelling folk rock, and rousing, rootsy ruminations. Surrounded is only his second solo album overall, and it's really a stirring effort. It's filled with introspective ballads and plaintive musings on human nature. He plays with depth and finesse, and he's quietly turned in one of the best albums of 2021. So, here we go. Here's my conversation with Justin Sullivan, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
I was researching, I saw that you just had a recent birthday. Um, uh, I, I did. Yeah. In the old days, it would be retirement age, but not anymore, actually. <laughs> <laughs> how's your How's your attitude towards these things these days, like birthdays? I've never been much one for birthdays, actually. I, I never have. It's, uh, I remember, I forget everybody else's and I largely forget mine. Obviously, in this online world, you get lots of messages. Um, but I, whatever. <laughs> right. I mean, there's lots of messages all, all the time anyway and largely they sort of pass us by you know yeah it, it and i also feel it's like an unnecessary amount of attention uh in a high concentration of time for 24 hours it feels <laughs> weird <laughs> i'm not sort of worried about it i i i don't feel any different from when i was 12 really you know or if anything i'm going i'm heading back there i mean this is what you do in in older age I do think the lockdown has had a, one of the effects I've noticed is that everybody's become a more extreme version of themselves. In, in what way? Well, I think generally that, that we, are, we, we go about our lives, you know, we have a personality, but the rough edges of that personality get, get sort of smoothed, smoothed by contact with general society. When general society is sort of absent, the rough edges get rougher perhaps what about for you creatively when when you realized you, this was going to be a while um did it ignite you creatively or or the no, other, yeah? I, it, it was a really strange thing i was sat on my the the lockdown started we just played in spain and i've been over there with my partner who lives in france and um and she got back to france i come back to england and suddenly we were locked down and i've found my and everybody said oh you'll probably write a solo album I went no I won't um and then after two or three days we just sat on the sofa with a guitar I, yes exactly what I started doing I mean it tends to be what I do it's my default just sitting while we're half watching something on tv which I keep putting on pause when I come up with a decent idea while playing guitar in a kind of drifty off with the fairies sort of way that's kind of what I do. And, and the way we have of writing um, is that all the time uh, with the band, it, all the time we collect musical ideas. So it'll be a chord sequence, we like a bass line, a lot of drum beats, especially drum beats, um, a bit of a jam in a sound check we did or, or some stuff that goes into a cupboard mark musical ideas. And then all the time, like all writers, I've got a notebook and someone tells me a story, I read something or I have a rant or whatever. That goes into the notebook. That goes into stuff I want to write about. Um, you know, being places and, and feeling places and, and people. Um, and then when we come to write a, a New Model Army album, which actually I've just started doing now, um, we, we sort of pull all these ideas out and bit by bit, you just piece together. You go, mm, that beat's interesting. That chord sequence is interesting. That feels a bit like that lyrical idea. And then, but you're never staring at a blank piece of paper. So what happened last year was that I was sat there on, on the sofa playing acoustic guitar and coming up with bits of melody and, and stuff. And then I just sit there and go through my notebooks of stuff over the months previous or even years possibly. Um, where I've just written stuff I want to write about, and then you just could piece it together. And it was fast. It was really fast. I wrote 17 songs in six weeks. Wow. Um, but then very quickly, I got, I mean, everybody's always told me, you should write a solo album, which is just you and a guitar. But I get terribly bored of listening to that, partly because if I'm on it, I can't hear myself. I know that it's a strange thing. If you, that, that when you write songs, everybody focuses on, on the vocal, that is the song. But because it's me singing it, it's almost as if it doesn't exist. It's like, if that makes any sense. And obviously my guitar playing is a bit limited. So I, I thought, wouldn't it be nice to have other people on it? And I always thought about Danny Thompson, who's a sort of legendary double bass player who played on my first solo record. And I really wanted him to do it. And I contacted him and he was up for it originally, but then 
combination of difficulties with lockdown and everything else. And he's also 82. And he, after a little while, he sort of said, oh, you know, he wasn't really into it. So then I went to another friend who's a Danny Thompson protege, uh, John Thorne, who's best known for being in Lamb. I said, can you play some bass? And he did, and it was great. And, and, and then I went to various composers I know. Well, it's a bit of a string arrangement on this. And Kerry, our bass player's brother, is a harp player in Florence and the Machine. So I went to him and said, what about a bit of harp on this? So I ended up with all this stuff arriving and I'd, by email. And I'd, sometimes I really loved it and it wasn't what I would have thought of. And sometimes I didn't love it so much and went back and forward. And that was kind of what I was doing through last year, piecing it together. And every now and again, I got in to see Lee and Jamie, who are the guys that produced the last three New Model Army albums. Um, and I wanted them to mix it and I, was, I wanted their input. But strangely, while the, the live music industry was entirely closed down last year, the recording industry was really busy. So actually getting hold of Lee was very difficult. I mean, he was mixing a lot of stuff for other people. So that was difficult. And I finally got to see him in November and we, we pieced it together from what I had. And we had sort of two, three different options at the end. One, to take it all away and go back to me and a guitar. Two, to take what we'd got and make a really modern sounding record with a lot of studio tricks and technology and stuff that's really clever. And we did sort of, I sort of played with that idea because Lee's a clever mixer. He does a lot of pop stuff. And, and, and in the end, we just went to having it very kind of organic, nothing clever on it at all in the mix, um, just organic. I mean, you said that you wrote, suddenly it was like 16, 17 songs. Here they were in six weeks. Does that, when that happens, do you tend to trust that wave of creativity or is there a part of you that's suspicious? Like, why is it coming so quickly? No, it, it does tend to come quickly with me. I, I'm, I don't write for at all for ages. And then I go into music world. And once, once you're there, more and more and more comes. I mean, it probably helped that, you know, things were, you know, I was cut off and nothing much was happening with New Model Army. So that certainly helped. But once I get in there, I'm in there. And then it comes fast. For, for people who are listening, who are musicians, young musicians, um, do you think that the, the part where you're not writing is as much a part of the process as when you are? Or do the two have nothing to do with each other? No, because all the time, as I said, all the time, we're collecting ideas. So if it's me, so or New Model Army, same thing. You know, Michael's walking down the street and he hears a beat in his head and he goes, do, 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 do into his phone. That goes into musical ideas. Or I'm sat with a guitar, I come up with a chord sequence. I mean, right in this record, um, like I said, I was going through my notebooks for lyrical ideas, but I was going back through my phone for good, good bits of melody or, or things that interested me. So all the time you're collecting ideas. I think the idea stage is one stage. Putting it together is the kind of work. I don't love it. I just love it when it's done. <laughs> I don't like the work. I don't <laughs> like the hard work very much. Um, the ideas, the ideas phase of everything, I l absolutely love. So last week here, myself and Kerry and Michael from the, you know from the band, we got together for the first time in months and months and months. Um, and we just started pooling ideas, and that's great. I would imagine you must have notebooks stretching back to 1980 that, uh, that are still rich with yeah, ideas. I do. I do, but I don't tend to go and look at the old ones. Either I've kind of used it or I've moved on, or occasionally there's stuff. I mean, there's so much stuff. I mean, where the songs on this album came from, um, a good example, you know, there's two, there's two or three place songs um 28th of may is about belfast and i i lived in belfast for a year in 75 76 at the height of the troubles and um and then in 2019 i went back with the band and i got to stay there for a week afterwards so um so i was just looking around all my old haunts and 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 of course ended up writing lots of stuff and that went into 28th of may been to sao paulo a few times looking back through the notebook stuff about just a picture of Sao Paulo, really, at three o'clock in the morning. Um, 
or Unforgiven, which is a, a, a trip to Corsica and, and stuff I wrote when I was there. When you when you found yourself in Belfast, what were the circumstances that that found uh, you? Uh, yeah, I was nineteen. I was twenty. Yeah. Um, uh, what were the circumstances? Um, it was. I mean, if you know the details of the history of the Troubles, it was after the first wave of mass, um, you know, extreme violence. And it was a strange time where on the Protestant side, there was a bit of a civil war between UVF and UDA. And on the, in the Catholic community, there was a bit of civil war between the official IRA and the provisional IRA. And they were both turning into mafia organizations with control of large amounts of money and weapons and drugs and stuff. And at the same time, um, British intelligence was then involved with both. So everybody kind of knew what was everybody. It was all a, a, a dirty, secret, attritional war around that time on both sides. Um, and yeah, I was there for that year. Uh, I loved Belfast. I absolutely adored the city. What, what was it that, that inspired you to go there during that moment? I got a job. I got a job in a, in a strangely, in a, in a youth club, in a, in a hardline Protestant, by chance, a hardline Protestant area. And um, so I went across for the year and did it. I, before that, I'd, I sort of left school. Where there, was another, there was another, it's got a bit more autobiographical, this album, than, than most. Um, maybe it's my age, maybe because it's a solo album, maybe because of lockdown. Um, but that thing of looking back, when I was... When I first left home, I, I worked on the, the Tube in London for a few months, saved some money. And then I went hitchhiking around North America for quite a few months, actually, just living, just sleeping rough and hitchhiking and having adventures and going where the wind took me. Uh, ran out of money. Um, <laughs> um, but it, it was a really interesting time because that time in America was that sort of post-Vietnam post all the civil rights had all kind of gone uh, the, all the assassinations and stuff and everybody in America was going and if you look at all those movies and music of the time it's all everything's fucked and I I do remember that that atmosphere and that song is in that's 1975 the track on the album that atmosphere you know where's everybody gone that em empty melancholic bleak almost um which i i actually quite like <laughs> so i quite like all the movies of that time is a brisky point vanishing point um they're all a bit bleached out and a bit kind of out there gone uh, yeah could you pick up on that when you were in north america were you able yeah. to pick up on that vibe when just very much yeah. very much yeah, I mean, it's in the song 1975, you know, that that idea. Um, and I've actually done a video for it, which I'll put out at some point, which is just, I've gone through YouTube, stolen loads of people's Super 8 footage from the middle <laughs> 70s and chucked it together. And it it's really right. Did you make your way, and I ask this as a Californian, did you make your way to California? I did. I did, I did something like, I mean, I basically started in New York I went to Chicago, up to uh, Toronto, down the East Coast to Florida, right across the South to Los Angeles, up the West Coast to Vancouver, across the Rockies uh, through Banff, then down the East side of the Rockies through Colorado, everywhere like that, all the way down to Mexico City, back up, down, back to Florida, back up to New England and then home. So you did hit California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was your take on the state? My take on the state in 1970, when I first got there, it was like, I still, you know, in 1975, I was kind of grew up, grew up in, the, the, in the hippie era, but I was too young to be a hippie. So I had older brothers and sisters. I was kind of aware of it. And of course, all the music and everything. And everybody's heading with the idea, you know, heading west. Right. Heading, everybody going west. And I remember having that sense of 
going west. I mean, I think it's still there in American culture. And I'm getting to Los Angeles, getting to the sea and going, now what do I do? <laughs> I do remember that. Now what the fuck do I do? I don't know anyone here. I think I better get out of the city. So I started going north. But um, yeah, it was the tail end of the hippie era. So 2020 was the 40th anniversary of New Model Army, and you really couldn't do much about it. Uh, what was your what was your attitude uh, about that? We were kind of saved from it, and it was a relief. <laughs> I didn't have to spend too much time trawling through the history of New Model Army. But that kind of reminds me of what we were talking about earlier on about birthdays, right? Like to say like New Model Army's been around for 40 years, you'd rather just go, all right, let's just move on and keep going. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you get to 40 and it is a landmark. People say, well, you should be proud and look back. Well, uh, I'm vaguely proud, but I don't want to spend much time looking back. I mean, that's what you do when you're finished. Um, uh, and also, it's not like, it's like a real achievement. It's not really an achievement. We just didn't stop. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm sort of, in the last year or two, I've been very much opposed to nostalgia. And I, I don't know, just because getting older. Um, but one thing that really makes me nervous is people who live in the past. And I'm trying aggressively to not live in the past. And it sounds like you're very much forward thinking in the same way. In the course of New Model Army, what's really helped me is obviously... The, 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 this very slow, quite organic turnover of members. We haven't, you know, had massive amounts of different people, but every, every, every 10 years or so, someone new arrives. And when someone new arrives, it isn't like a, 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 the old group with the new guy. It's a new group. It's it, all the all the dynamics within the group change, so it's a bit like a, a whole new thing, and that's really helped. Do you mean because you have to respond to the new person creatively? Yes, yes, and everybody else has a you know each person has a different relationship with the new person, and the old person's gone, so all the relationships shift. I see. And, 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 and people imagine, because I'm the original member, well, actually, I was the only original member by 1985. Um, because I'm there all the way through, it's sort of Justin Sullivan and some other musicians. Not at all. It's very much a band. We still operate as a band. Each time someone new arrives, we adjust slightly to this kind of new reality. And the music keeps moving and changing. It's got a couple of, you know, there are obviously you know, thing identifiers, the most obvious two being uh, one, the sound of my voice, which unfortunately I can't change. And the other one being this absolute um, dominance of rhythm section. I think it's partly because I grew up, you know, my first love is Northern soul music and, and, and Motown and stuff. It's all about the soul. It's all about the rhythm section. I know that the ba the most by far the most important members of every band are the drummer and the bass player, and and new you know with New Model Army the point was to to create always interesting rhythm sections and driving rhythm sections, and that's what gives us our you know a lot of our identity I think. Yeah, I mean you guys are not quite the fall in the sense that you've had like hundreds of members, but you're right it has been a rotating cast and creatively you're saying that that's actually been a really good thing for you really good thing yeah 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 because if you listen to like the falls last three or four records they don't i mean it's still marky smith but it's a different band than it was in 1978 and i think that's kind of cool uh, i think it, it it yeah it's definitely good i can't imagine being in the same band for years and years because you know say you two or, or, or something because you because basically you've got a group of people you know what the areas of conflict are so you don't go there which means that you cut off a large amount of i mean what you're always looking for musicians that you play with is something that you would never have thought of yourself but you love this is what this is the point of playing with other people that somebody plays you something that you know you, you play something and, and they go what about this and you go my God, I would never have thought of that, but I fucking love it. 
Um, and that's, you know, that's the point. And, and the, uh, like I said, the slow turnover of musicians means that different people are coming in. And I think for the overall sound and direction, that everybody that's ever been in the New Model Army has been into different music. We actually want, I remember having a conversation in the mid nineties with a particular five piece that we were at the time, but I think it's still true that we tried to th agree on one album in the history of music that we all unreservedly loved together. And we couldn't come up with one. Really? I think that's unusual for a band. We really come from different places. Well, I mean, it's unusual for a band that's all in the same band. Yeah. So what, what we end up making is something that makes sense to us all, all coming from different places, which is probably why we don't, you know, with the, the, what the fuck are we? Are we a rock band? Well, we're a kind of rock band. Are we a folk rock band? Well, there's some folk melodies in there. Are we a goth band? Well, there's some melancholic, darkish chords. Uh, are we a metal band? Well, there's some metal in there. Are we, what, are the, what the fuck are we? You know, are we a soul band? Well, there's an awful lot of Motown actually in New Model Army, but no one's looking for it, so they don't realise. But but then we sort of put it together. You know, Dean, been in the band a long time now, he's, he plays keyboards, but really is a guitar player. You know, he's into psychedelia. So there's some of that in there too. You know, it, it's, it's just we, we take whatever. The whole point of punk was to be free. I hate the idea that punk became a form of music. When, when, when punk started, it wasn't a form of music. It was a cultural revolution, which reaffirmed the idea that, that the spirit with which you do things is much more important than anything else. And therefore, total freedom. It's just about spirit. And then, and then you can just nick and borrow and steal from everywhere. Did punk rock light you up immediately? Or did yes. No, actually, not quite immediately. Um, I was still, as I said, tail end of hippie era. In the mid-70s, I was listening to a lot of reggae. I was still really into Northern Soul and going to Wigan Casino and that Northern Soul scene of, of Northern Britain. Um, um, Quadrophenia had been my favourite rock album at the time. I think still is, probably. Um, a lot of different stuff, a lot of American folk. I heard this early punk rock stuff and I didn't really get it. My brother played me the first Clash album, my kid brother, well, he must listen to this. And I heard it and I went, yeah, I quite like that. But at the same time he played me Marquee Moon by television. And I fell in love with that. And actually it was two things. One was an interview with Polystyrene that I heard on the radio that I went, now I get it. It's about spirit. And she had so much spirit, you know, as a person, that this was absolutely infectious. I think she was a really important person in the whole scene. Um, and then I saw all the punk bands coming through Bradford, um, and it was one band that changed my life. It was one concert, and it was the Ruts. Um, just before Babylon's Burning came out, I'd heard In a Rut on John Peel, and... I'd loved it. And so I went to see the Ruts and in that gig was everything about being alive. Just all the thrill and the guts and the anger and the joy and the everything. And I went, that's where to go. <laughs> and I was already in a band, but then we kind of stripped down to a three piece um, based around the fact that I could write a bit. Stuart, the first bass player, was an extraordinary talent. Um, and that we sort of wrote stuff and, and, and stripped down to a three-piece and it was very aggressive and off the time. By the time that I made 19 years All the wars were lost A smouldering stillness lay over the land I wandered out across Companions came and went their ways It was easier along I watched people folding the banners away And quietly heading home 
With no reflection in the mirror No reflection in the mirror They took me to a commune farm Where everyone smiled They were pure and kind and sure I felt their goodness surrounding me And headed for the door I got a ride with a gambler And a cool black jeep He shared his box of thrills All the memories A given gifts From the way to somewhere else And I dream of sunlit highways Woven into the hills The haze is bleached and stoned Like a harvest risen towards the sun Cut back down to the earth Where is everybody gone? Where is everybody gone? sense of the spirit new model army um is still very much a punk band then if it's about spirit right yeah yeah absolutely the, the whole point about punk was that you know the whole point of all art the all art is the the transmission of spirit and it's magic it's magic that's what it is music is absolutely powerful mag magic there's a story that I always tell, so it's probably not worth putting in any interview because I've told it so many times. But I remember years and years and years ago being in Cleveland um, on tour, and I went out for a walk with Ed in a nasty part of town, and not much of that town is very nice anywhere. And we walked into a soul food cafe somewhere in depressed Cleveland, all black. And... Um, and it was the most, it was a boiling hot summer day and it was the most depressing place I have ever been in my life. There was a couple of people sort of working and, and not very slowly and couldn't be bothered and hated their jobs. And there was a couple at the table that weren't talking to each other. There was someone sitting there just utterly depressed and very miserable and still. And, and somebody got up and went to the jukebox. I can't remember if it was me or Ed or somebody else in the cafe actually. And they put on You Can't Turn Me Loose by Otis Redding. Do, 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 do. And in the course of three minutes, 
something amazing happened in the cafe. The couple that weren't talking first started tapping the feet, then they started talking, looking at each other in the eye. The people that were working started moving while they were working. The, everybody, it was like watching a flower open in fast motion. It was the most astonishing thing. That's the power of it. Yeah, and you must have felt with New Model Army reaching so many different people because you know, even for me growing up in, on the West Coast of California and seeing people wearing New Model Army shirts and you playing out here and people going and loving your stuff, the fact that you were able to reach so many different kinds of people, because for us, the goths loved you, the punks loved you, um, you know, all these different types of people who like different types of music fell in love with New Model Army. That must have been pretty magical for you to have found as well, that the music was reaching such a you know, different group of people. It's, it, it's completely disparate around the world. I mean, I, I, I think it's partly because the music's quite extreme. You know, this emphasis on, on, on rhythm section, endless minor chords, um, uh, quite dark. Um, ah, uh, you know, it, 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 it appeals to certain kind of person. Somebody said once to me, I know who likes New Model Army. I said, oh, please do tell me. And he said, uh, it appeals to people who are basically intelligent, but trying to work through a large amount of personal darkness, which I thought <laughs> was quite funny. Um, but because but it's not in genre, it's like people hear it and go, that's not what I normally, but there's something about it that I like, or I don't like that. You know, it's quite strong. So you either like it or you don't. And then within the, within the lyrics, there's lots and lots and lots of ideas about politics and religion and relationships and, and, and everything. So, um, but it's a bit nebulous. I don't, I don't want, there's no agenda. It's just about, you know, experience of being human. But basically with themes and ideas and people that are kind of interested in these ideas find it as well. Yeah, it becomes their band because it's not in the media and it's not a big operation. And it, you know, it becomes, they become very possessive. Another story I always tell about, uh, it was a woman, we were playing in Istanbul, we were on the plane and there was a woman I know that's been to thousands of concerts by us and there she was on the plane. And I said, are you coming to see us again? And she said, I'm partly coming to see you, but partly I'm coming to see Istanbul. And I can go to Istanbul as a tourist and I can look at the Blue Mosque, but that's not that interesting. If I go to Istanbul and see my favorite band, I'm gonna meet a whole load of Turkish people and it's their favorite band too. And immediately I have a kind of social network. And, and it's about that. Were you surprised to find that your music was so universal? Um, because you, you talked about how your relationship with your own voice and you, the way you feel about certain things. Were you surprised that, that your music reached so many different people? You know, what, what happens is that the, at the start, of the, the start of being in a band, you find yourself in a room with other people making something that you think is great. And you hope other people like it. And 41 years later, it's basically the same. You know, you, you make something that we make something that we we like, put it out there. Other some other people like it. I mean, people. I once got asked an interview a question in an interview, which I thought extremely strange. It's like, you know, you finish this album. What do you think the fans will think about it? And I thought. Don't know, you know. Uh, I, I hope people get something from it, but I don't think about that when you're doing it. No, no, and that's not really your responsibility. You know, mm. that's that's you create no. the art, and how people respond to it is not that's out of your hands. Yeah, right. If you concerned yourself with that, you would go mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. But I mean, okay. you know, growing up where in the '80s, like I did, if you you know, music was very tribal back then. So if you went to a Susie and the Banshees concert, it was, you know, every girl looked like Susie Sue. And, you know, it's like you, it, there were signifiers. If you went to a Cure show, if you went to a metal show, people dressed the way that they listened to music. You could pretty much tell what was in their, in their uh, music collection. Nowadays, you can't do that. But 
um, with New Model Army, you you corralled all those people into one room. I thought that was pretty oh, cool. A small, a small, a small, a small corral of them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it isn't. Not everybody likes it. I mean, again, you know, the, I suppose the first thing people hear is my voice, and you either like it or you don't. It's true of most, you know, singers. I, I can't. I'm not really a, a naturally gifted singer. I just do what I can with my voice. I. It's quite interesting writing because when I write, I don't hear my voice either. I, and then I don't hear it when it's recorded. I can't tell what it is. But I do find when I write that some songs I write that are, that are on our albums, I think, hmm, somebody else should have sung that. And sometimes I write a song where I go, yeah, that, that's good for my voice. You know, that one. But it does vary. In the, when you you've said it before now when you, when you write or when you sing you don't hear your voice what do you what are you hearing in the absence of your voice uh, everything to me is just a feeling i it's mostly around the music and my voice is kind of there i and and i'm a very very bad producer and i need to work with other people because um i've got a feeling and i've got an imagination and i I imagine this feeling is there on, on, on tape because that's in my imagination. And it takes people that around me that actually listen to what I do to tell me, uh, no, it's not there, you know. You're feeling it, but it's not there. You're imagining it. Um, and, and, and pointing me in the right directions. You know, I mean, I, I, for years, I, I, at the beginning of the band, obviously formed it with Stuart, really. But then Robert became a very, very important person. Robert listened, and Robert was very kind of serious about music and, and really listened. And Michael Dean is the same. And I have this kind of very close relationship with Michael. He listens. And he... I, I need someone to bounce off. And through last year, a, a lot of it actually was with my partner in Paris. That I, that I was living some of last year with um, in Paris with with her, and um, just going and saying to her, uh, you know, is this good? Is this bad? Is this? I have a million ideas. I, I chuck a lot at you know, and then and and then I need other people to bounce off and tell me which the good ones are. Yeah, so it's like you work alone and then you work together. So you. Yeah. Yeah. What happens with New Model Army is that, like I say, all the musical ideas come from everyone. And then I start putting songs together using the ideas. And Michael Dean's coming and going all the time. Um, and then other people come in and, and then put their, their bit of it or, you know, change that. Or, you know, once, there, once there's a song, then other people come back. Uh, the actual right turning, turning ideas into songs um uh, that's mostly solitary in terms of narrative um you know there's a lot of storytelling on on the new record obviously but and, and it almost feels like a very novelistic kind of sequencing as well um but did you were you conscious of the narrative choices that you were making this time around because they seem so specific that's interesting you say that no i ended up i, I with Navigating by the Stars, everything had a, they all tied together very easily in terms of atmosphere and mood. Right. These ones didn't um, quite. There's some, there's a bit of quite, uh, there's a bit of dark stuff, you know, obviously um, coming with me or Unforgiven. Um, uh, stuff that's quite angry. Um, there's also very, very, very reflective. There's a very cute love song. There's a happy song in the sea again. There's a, there's, um, you know, there's reflective stuff. So when putting it together, I wanted it to be a journey um, that that it would hold together without too much abrupt changes of atmosphere. That the atmosphere was going to change because they are different vibes. But to be it like that, and also one bloke on a guitar is boring for an hour. I mean, it's a really fucking long album. So, <laughs> so with, all, with the various minimalist backing I've got, you know, some strings, some harps, some bass. So to keep that changing, 
so it's so the next arrangement of the next song is not the same arrangement as the last song so so it's an attempt to make you know a singer songwriter album interesting for an hour i don't know if i succeeded you did and I, and I think that if navigating is like your novel, this one feels like a collection of short stories. Um, that yeah, that's fair. Is that, 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 is that, that fair? fair? Yeah. Okay. Because it, it feels, because they're very, they're quite different in atmosphere. Right, but yet they they still hold together as a collective piece as well, like a great book of short stories does. Okay. Thanks. So, <laughs> so. Um, it would have been terrible if I got that wrong, Justin. But the, so I guess my question to you is, what is the through line, do you think, uh, with all those 16 songs? This time, I don't know. I've just chucked it out there. Um, and, and I sort of feel a bit as if, you know, everybody said that this is too long. And I go, I know it is. But in order to make a single vinyl album, I need to lose six songs. And... I don't really want to lose six because what the fuck am I going to do with them? I'm not planning to make another solo album anytime soon. So uh, I'll just chuck them together and let the audience do their own editing. Listening to it, I tried to put it in an order where I didn't get bored, basically. And do you, do you feel when you're writing a New Model Army album or your solo album, are those two different sides of you? Like, do you does it feel that different to you? No, not really. It doesn't. Not ex not very not very much. Um, the the big difference is musical. Where when I'm writing New Model Army, I'm usually starting with the rhythm section. Okay. Um, you know there are some singer songwriter songs within New Model Army that got written with a uh, you know me and a guitar on a sofa, but mostly I start with drums or a bass riff or or you know. I, I like to start with something from somebody else and especially drum beats. I think the problem with being in, you know, in a rock band and you're a singer songwriter in a rock band, the, the danger is you're going to sit there and do four chords and, and write a song. What the fuck does the rhythm section do? Because, you know, they go bubaka, 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 and it's not interesting to listen to. Um, so I, I like to start with a kind of interesting beat. Yeah, and you know, I love Billy Bragg, but I remember when I got the Back to Basics record, my first thought was, this is too long. <laughs> I know that's, I just felt like it was, because one guy with a guitar, um, yeah. and I love the songs, but I remember after about the 12th song, I was like, I think all I needed was 12. Um, even though I, I love the record, I'm not, I'm not saying I don't love the record. I, I, but think, I don't know if you felt that with this one. No. You know, all right, okay. Well, no, maybe that, that to do with the the you know the the, I mean the the arrangements are minimalist, but but there are but there's stuff there all the time. Yeah, and I think that's what I was that's the point I was trying to make is that I didn't feel that way at all about this, and so I know you've said it's a long record, and it is a long record by today. Is there a, and is there a theme? <laughs> well, you know, you know I, there's a collection of short stories. What does it add up to? Uh, Listen, the, the theme for me is that people have stories to tell. I mean, that to me is good enough, you know. Okay. Um, you know, my favorite books of short stories like Raymond Carver or Joy Williams, like what's the theme? I don't, you know, loneliness, uh, <laughs> you know, human, human. All the, uh, usual, all the usual human yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, human worry. Um, yeah. All the stuff is there. Um, but, you know, you you have said, you listen, I mean, I think you're a great storyteller. And I think that you are able to capture these stories about these characters. Um, when you write and, and you sort of write about other people than yourself, um, do you prefer that? Or do you prefer to write from the, from the, about you? No, I mostly write about other people. I, I find that writing about me, um, I've tended to, I do it occasionally. Uh, but I tend to avoid it, I think, because you, it's just repetitive, isn't it? It's like, uh, you know, there's, I've got a couple of stories about me, but they're a bit limited. You know, I wouldn't like one to write forever about me. Anyway, I like writing about other people. I like writing, I like writing from another point of view. I mean, there's some New Model Army songs. You know, people imagine that New Model Army's got this kind of... Uh, you know, the, there's an agenda in the politics of it. Not at all. I mean, I'd, there's a couple of songs like One of the Chosen, um, which is inside the head of a, nas uh, a, a 
fundamentalist or um, what, uh, my people right or wrong, which is inside the head of a nationalist, where I'm basically singing from the point of view of something I don't philosophically agree with, but I, but I can feel it. You know, that's much more interesting. And so then on, on Surrounded, there's, you know, Clean Horizon, Stone and Heather, Akistan are written about people I know. They're studies of people. Amundsen, okay, story, you know, um, about somebody famous uh, coming with me, a story about <laughs> a person. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I think I'm getting an idea now of what the through line is because I know that everyone has a story to tell, but mm. not all of those stories are interesting, right? I mean, someone will tell you their story and it's like, okay, that's, I get it, but, eh. and I think the through line is any story that you can feel is the story that's mm. worth telling. Yeah. We'll go with that. Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, there's no reason to pop the hood on the magic, but I do think that if you look at like Ray Davies' work, you know, the stories about writing about other people, um, which I think he does so magically, um, those are interesting stories. I mean, I think those are compelling, interesting stories. A lot of the, sometimes I do, you know, but the, the 28th of May, the Belfast one in 1975, they're both stories from my um, young adulthood that I've sat on for 40 years. Um, it, it, it is true that you sometimes you sit on a story for a long time before you decide to tell it or you find the way to tell it or it, it comes. There's, a, there's my favourite, well, in my top five New Model Army songs of all time, there's a song called Dawn, which um, was something that happened in the mid-80s to somebody I know. They had a horrible, messy divorce, couldn't see their children. Um, it was a, and they decided to end it all. And they took enough, you know, whatever it was to kill themselves. And they went out to the park to die. And suddenly as dawn came up, decided he didn't want to die. He was lucky, you know, he called an ambulance. They took him to hospital and he survived. Um, and I sat on that story for 25 years before I decided that I wanted to tell it um, or found a way to tell it. Um, and I'm terribly proud of that song, actually, um, musically and lyrically. Uh, I sent it to him. He said, thank God something good came out of that awful time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the idea that you will that you'll hold a story, let it marinate and sort of let it yeah. right. You have to sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes you write something which is I'm, I'm, just at the moment I'm writing something that's happening, you know, uh, right now. It's a story that's happening right now in in and around people I know. And so sometimes you write it at the time. But. The key to being a good storyteller is obviously being a good listener first. Yeah, there are some songs that, that, that just write themselves. Um, there's a lesser known track by us called, uh, called One Bullet. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Um, I went to a pub and just to get some cigarettes around the corner from where I lived. And there was a guy that lived in my street who I recognized, or I didn't know him really. And he was sat there on his own in the pub and he said, it's my birthday, come and have a drink with me. And he told me this terribly sad story of his life. Uh, and I just went home like a vampire and went, it took me 10 minutes to write. Clean Horizon on, on this album, I was having a conversation with somebody late at night and the next morning I just went, done. But that couldn't have happened if you weren't listening. Well, I guess, yeah. Right. I mean, you feel people, don't you? You feel people when you're talking to them or, or you know, there are those songs. Uh, and then there's, there's, there is like songs which don't, haven't really got a story, like the Sao Paulo one. It's just a picture really. Um, and it was Lee's idea to do it like that. I, I originally wrote something which was a bit of a kind of Brazilian pastiche and he said, don't do it like a pastiche, just do it like a movie soundtrack. So that's what it then turned into. Have you maintained friendships with people in the industry, other musicians over the years? Like, do you, are, do you have a group of friends that are all in the same business? 
Yeah, I think that's inevitable that the people you meet again and again and again and that seem to be there are people that you you work with in some capacity or other, whether they're other musicians or, um, you know, journalists or promoters or techs or whatever. Um, these are the people. And again, there's a slow turnover of them, but it, there are people that have been there forever. Um, yeah, it's a sort of, it's a sort of community. Yeah, because I would imagine during COVID that talking to fellow artists would have been of great comfort. There were some people that, that really felt the need in their isolation to reach out to other people. I quite have enjoyed not doing that. Maybe, maybe it's my age or something. You know, the, the, this thing about getting up in the morning is like, what have I got to do today? Nothing. I think that's fantastic. I mean, everybody says, oh, we've all been in it together. And of course, it's not true. If you live in a nice house in the countryside um, with a garden and you're not worried about money, it's been an absolute blessing. If you live on the 17th floor in an overcrowded apartment with people you don't get on with very well and you're really worried about money, then this has been hell. Um, so, you know, the idea that we're all in it together is kind of not really true. Um, but I've basically been in my flat, little flat in Bradford or my partner's little flat in Paris and, you know, either alone or, or with her. Um, and, and have I felt the need to reach out to other people? Not very much, actually. I, I'm, I basically live in my own head an awful lot of the time. I'm sure that's true of most writers. What about the, the sort of attendant practical worries of how do I put groceries on the table if this continues? Were you ever worried? We're very, we've been very lucky when lockdown hit. I mean, unlike uh, other contemporary, you know, other bands that, you know, the, the cult bands that aren't super wealthy and don't have lots of hit records. Um, the, we're lucky that we've worked so much, especially in the last 10 years, that when it came, um, we were able to go, okay, we'll be all right year and a half, two years, we can, we've got enough behind us because we're, like I say, we've, we've worked so much, particularly in the last 10 years, um, that there's enough built up behind us not to have to worry. That's been, so in that sense, we're very privileged. Yeah. Not a lot of people can say that, obviously. I mean, the other thing is that we, none of us, you know, we, <laughs> we just have expensive lifestyles or uh, only, only one of us has kids um we're not used to you know we don't have a sort of lifestyle where we're, and we live in, in we live in well i live in bradford which is an extremely cheap city it's one of the reasons for living here i mean if, if we lived in london everything would be completely different because you'd have to spend all your life worrying about you know making enough money to pay your rent but in bradford that's not so hard well, then it's a very practical place to live. It is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I, have, I have this, we have this uh, lovely studio. Oh, wow. Um, where, where I spend an awful lot of time. Wow. Got, you know, the top floor of an old mill building. Um, uh, in, in San Francisco or, or London, this would cost an absolute fortune. And it yeah. absolutely costs, us, costs us absolutely nothing. That's a nice studio. Yeah, it is. It is, it's really nice. Um, well, congratulations on the on the album. I love it. I love what you do. And I've always wanted to chat with you. I've always found you to be a really fascinating um, guy. And I'm glad that you took the time to do this. Well, thank you very much for all the compliments. <laughs> How about yourself? <laughs> I am. Uh, I, I'm a writer, too. Um, you're, you know, you're better than I am. But, I, but I'm a writer. I'm not a musician. So I, I, I just write. Um, writing, writing songs and writing novels and poetry like I, I had this long partnership with jules who writes poetry and novels um it's very different it's just a different focus different skill yeah there's a crossover though like like leonard cohen you know he sort of he sort of had one foot in the literary and one foot in in music and they seem to cross i'm not very good at prose um i and i Everybody's always saying to that I should, you know, write the book because um, there's no book about Nimrod Lama. Everybody says, "Why is there no book about Nimrod Lama?" There's two, there's two documentary movies. Um, 
neither of which I particularly like, but then I probably wouldn't. Um, but as for the book, you know, write the book, well, you know, one day maybe. But there's an end, there's no ending, that's the point. Right, I mean, that, that I always feel weird about people who write an autobiography at the midpoint in their life, it's sort of like, well, there's that, there should be yeah. more of them yeah. you know? There's so much, so much hasn't been done. Um, well, if anyone's going to do it, that's 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 for you. I guess. Yeah. Most interesting stories happened before I was ever in a band, like like living in Belfast, like hitching around the states, like um, getting involved with the the Pakistani mafia, um, etc. Which I haven't written about yet. Uh, I like, anyway. I like how you just threw that last one in there. Oh, you know, getting involved with the Pakistani mafia. Like, now I need to hear that story. But that's... that's well, uh... One day. One day. <laughs> that was, that was some, some, a little bit after I lived in Belfast. I, I, had a, a, I got a job with some Pakistani guys driving out to Pakistan. Um, anyway, yeah, long story. Through, through Iran the year before the revolution and Afghanistan at the very, very, very beginning of the war, which has been going on ever since. Right. Well, it must have gotten dicey at one point or another. Uh, in Afghanistan, it was, the, it, was the it was the very beginning. So what, what was going on in 77 was, um, 78 were um, the, the, there was a Russian backed communist government in Kabul that was moderately popular um, and then and but Kabul didn't didn't control the rest of the country like it never has and and around the rest of the country there was the 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 beginnings of the Mujahideen fighting the the communist government so they were all backed by the Americans uh, and everything <laughs> eventually did full circle like it always does um, but that was the beginning. Well, I think that deserves probably more than a song. That might be a couple. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, man, thank you. Thank you for doing this. And thanks for chatting with me. It's a real pleasure. Pleasure. Cheers. There you go, Justin Sullivan. He started getting cooking there at the end. That Middle East stuff was pretty interesting. Uh, great guy. Uh, great new album, Surrounded. Go get it. Newmodelarmy.org is where you need to go to find out what's happening with the band and Justin. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. Uh, BombshellRadio.com is where you need to go to find out what makes our radio station tick. All this stuff. Are you writing this down? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor. You can follow me on Instagram at Embers Podcast. You can also email me editor at stereoembersmagazine.com. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, tell a friend, leave us a rating, uh, maybe a nice comment. Feel free to uh, screw around with the order of that laundry list of items that I've just given you. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening to our program. It means a lot to us. It really does. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Clean Horizon from Justin Sullivan's new album, Surrounded. Enjoy it, and thank you again for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio. In the long and broken night Sticky with the bad dreams You see the faces of the past Slowly floating downstream Like thieves coming in the dark To steal away your halo Briars and the thorns scratching at your window. 
say a clean horizon is all that you need With nothing heavy in your hands Nothing dragging at your feet Sometimes you count the cost Of everything you've been through And all the wreckage of those lives Strewn all around you And now you have to be careful Where you tread Trying not to remember what you can't forget I've seen you tearing at yourself To shed your skin And how you can't stop Once you begin It clings to you Again and again Like clean horizon you do anything Dragging at your feet 